0: Have you ever wondered if your life was actually on the line? Did you, have you ever felt that kind of a threat? Um, you know, uh, it's an interesting thing. I've had that a few times in my life. And it's funny, you kind of know it when it's there, I think. But you also know it when it's not there. <laughs> uh, like that time in Taco Bell, Dad and I were there about, this is like 30 years ago, so we were a little younger and maybe a little stupider. Um, But we were in Taco Bell one one afternoon after doing a bunch of kids camps and we were kinda hungry so we were scarfing burritos there. And while we were sitting there in Taco Bell in Medford, Oregon, this guy walked up, wearing camos and army boots and kind of a big guy and he walked up and he grabbed, he pulled out of his jacket uh, a big knife and he says, you know, give me your money to me and Tad. And for some reason, it just struck me as sort of funny. (laughs) I, I don't. I can't explain it. I don't know why, but the worst part was when I when I was looking at this guy and kind of was ready. You know, I was ready to. to you know, I wasn't going to let him just stab us or whatever. So I was kind of. But but I also kind of glanced over at Tad real quick and and I could tell he thought it was funny too. And and I'm not kidding. I don't know what got into us, but we just started laughing. It was it was like uncontrollable. I mean, it was like we're like. Pfft. You know, like, we just couldn't. And so we were, we were laughing, and uh, we weren't laughing at him. Uh, we, I think we were laughing with him. No, we weren't doing that. It just seemed kind of ridiculous. It was almost like, man, you stab him, I got you. Uh, you stab me, he's got you. Like, like this isn't going to work out for any of us. So just, you know, we we're kind of thinking, just put the knife down. Well, that's what happened. We laughed him to where he just went, I'm getting out of here. And he slammed the knife down on the table and walked out of the store. Now, we just kind of ate our burritos and... Put the knife on the tray and threw it in the trash. And, <laughs> and, uh, we, and we didn't call the cops. I don't know why we didn't call the cops, but it just felt somehow that we weren't really uh, at threat for whatever reason, Had kind of a peace. There's other times. I remember when I was in Africa, we were uh, getting ready to leave the country in Bur- Burkina Faso. And um, it was back in the late 80s, I believe, early 90s maybe, um, when they had just had a revolution a few years earlier, and, and the country at that time was a little little sketchy, to say the least. Um, uh, for example, when I got there, they were all excited. They said, Pastor Brett, we're just like the Americans. And I said, how's that? And they said, well, we're a democracy, and we elected a new president now, you know? And, and I said, well, that's, that's great. Well, one of the missionaries said, yeah, but tell, the, tell Pastor Brett how the guy got elected. Well, they said, "Well, there were four guys running. This guy killed the other three, and he won." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, wow!" But that democracy at its finest. Probably work out better that way here, anyway. But no, I'm just 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 kidding. A little joke. Um, you know, the thing is. It really, it really was a volatile and kind of you know, dangerous time in that country. But we were going out to the, the airport. I had my you know, you kind of, This is one of those things where you're going out to the plane, which was Air France. But you have to kind of carry your luggage. And I had my guitar and a, a bag. And we're walking out 120 degrees on the runway. When suddenly the Burkina Faso military came running out and surrounded us with AK-47s, told us to drop our bags and put our hands up. And man, there's something about having AK-47s pointed at you. But also, you know, American soldiers are trained to kind of keep their finger off the trigger unless they're ready to pull the trigger. Uh, in Burkina Faso, they don't have that rule. So they're there with their AK-47s with their fingers on the trigger. I mean, it just kind of feels a little tense. And I really did think, you know, this could be it. This could be it right here. Um, and what they were doing was they're saying, uh, you owe us money to leave this country. It was a sort of a, you know, a little gratuitous uh, tax that they were going to give us basically said, what, how much cash do you have, and we'll see if it's enough to let you leave this country. Um, I didn't have any cash on me, but, and, uh, but this one guy in our group did. He had about $700, and so he gave them their money, and he said, okay, you guys can go. And so he picked up my guitar. Literally, they took my Martin HD28 at the time is what I had, and they threw it on the runway and opened up my case, and they were searching our luggage, and, and my guitar was just kind of sitting there, baking in the sun on pavement. For you guitar people, you know the hurt that that was. But i um, but, I, but I, uh, I, I remember feeling very vulnerable, and I, I thought, man, there's a lot of times where people have felt that over the years. Um, it, it, it's interesting, you know, because um, in the Bible, there's a few cases where very real threats were made on human life. And as it turns out, those threats, well, some of them were carried out. Um, one of the things to, to know about in the Bible are the various martyrs of the Christian faith. Martyrdom. Of course, Stephen was the first martyr there in the early church in Acts chapter 7. But there were many even in the Old Testament who died for what they believed. But we have a story here that I I think is really important. And there's a question that's sort of raised. As I read this story, uh, there's a question that I have. We'll look at the whole story on Wednesday night. But, you know, what I wanted to just share with you is this. Um, you know, this story, um, there's, a, there's a lesson and I think there's something that the Lord might be preparing you and me for. And I'm just going to tell you, it's not a fun topic. Okay, I'm going to prepare you for this. Uh, you're saying, Brett, how can you t- take the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and make it not fun? Well, I'll do it. If anybody can figure out a way, it's me. We'll have fun with it on Wednesday night. But there's something I wanna share with you. So what's going on? Well, if you remember last week, we saw Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream, and we spent last Sunday talking about that. Wednesday night, we saw the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And as it turns out, that uh, dream and the interpretation, well, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about a statue. The statue's head was of gold, arms of silver, belly of brass, legs of iron, feet of part iron and clay. And on Wednesday night, we saw the interpretation was, the head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And that was the first empire, the most powerful empire. It would be overtaken then by the next kingdom, the Medes and the Persians, the arms of silver. Then the belly of brass represents the Greeks who had come. And then, uh, you know, led by Alexander the Great. And then after that, the Roman empire, the two leg, legs of Rome. And, and then there was a gap because of Israel, the ceasing of Israel to exist. And then, you know, the, the 10 toes and the clay, feet of clay and iron, we talked about what all that is. And if you missed that, I'd recommend that you uh, catch up on our Wednesday night study because the rest of Daniel sort of uh, leans heavily on that that gap part of that dream that you need to understand. It's a little bit uh, complex. So check out our Wednesday night study to catch up on that. Well, all that's to say, Nebuchadnezzar hears this dream and he realizes he's the head of gold, but his kingdom's gonna come to an end. That's the prophecy. That's what Daniel shared. Well, he makes Daniel in charge of all the magicians, Chaldeans, soothsayers, and you know, the brainiacs and all that stuff. Daniel's now in charge of those guys. He raises Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their Babylonian names. Their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. He raises them up into sort of uh, uh, underlings of, of Daniel. And so these guys are all uh, high ups now in Babylon. Fast forward from that story, about uh, 23 years or so, um, what happens? Well, Nebuchadnezzar has an idea to build a statue. And he builds this statue. We don't know exactly what it looks like, but many scholars believe it looked like him. He builds this big statue and he doesn't make it of gold, silver, brass, iron, iron and clay. He builds this statue of, of just gold. What do you think he's trying to say? After 20 years, I wonder if Nebbi's kinda like, eh, I don't think anybody's gonna take my kingdom. I alone am the king of kings. I shall last forever. I wonder if his, his little you know, building of this statue, he's thinking somehow he's gonna be able to bypass what God says is gonna happen. But you gotta understand, when God says something, he does it. But Nebuchadnezzar builds a, a big statue of gold. And, and here in Daniel chapter three, He has the herald cry out, you know, when the the music plays, when you hear the the, the harp, the psaltery, the sackbut, the dulcimer, those are biblical-aged instruments, when you hear these instruments play, you need to bow down and worship the image which I have set up. That's what Nebuchadnezzar demands. And if you refuse to bow down and worship the image that I have set up, you'll be thrown into a fiery furnace and you'll be fried. Well, the story goes where there were three guys who were unwilling to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. And you guessed it, it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Man, what a bold thing. These guys knew Nebuchadnezzar is good for his threats. It's one of the things we've, we've seen in, in the scriptures about Nebuchadnezzar, man, he, he, he did horrible things to people. Fried them on barbecues poked their eyes out just before, you know, he killed their family in front of their eyes. And then the last thing they see, then he poked, poke out their eyes. Like he was a horrible guy, Nebuchadnezzar. But he says, I'm gonna throw you in a fiery furnace if you don't, you know, uh, go in the music um, place. Well, the Chaldeans, remember, they were very jealous of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Chaldeans come to Nebi and say, those guys, those Jewish boys, they're not bowing down. Now, some people say, where was Daniel? We'll talk about that on Wednesday night. But Daniel's not in this part of the story. It's just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, Nebuchadnezzar says, what, are you kidding me? They're not gonna bow down and worship the image that I have set up? And so, you know, Nebuchadnezzar says, um, listen, let me, let me add them, where are they? So he goes and speaks to them, and that's the verse, I wanna focus on a single verse of this chapter that I think is gonna be really important for us today. It's chapter three, verse 14. For our text today. It says um, in verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. And here it is, verse 14. And it says, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods? nor worship the golden image which I have set up." As it turns out, Nebuchadnezzar is is kind of flabbergasted. Is it true? Are you kidding me? See, you have to understand what's going on here. These guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these guys, well, as it turns out, they're unwilling to bow down, but why would Nebuchadnezzar be so shocked? Here's perhaps why. In some ways, you can almost see Nebuchadnezzar going, come on, man, I have blessed you guys. I have brought you from Jerusalem, that hick town from over in the, you know, the, the west, and I brought you to the glorious city of Babylon. I've clothed you and fed you and I've educated you guys and I've, I've, I've let you come and do what you want. You can worship your gods and do whatever you want. I've let you do all that. Now it's your time to pay me back with just one simple little thing. One simple little thing. All I want you to do is when the music plays, <laughs> then you bow down and you worship this golden image I set up, come on. Now remember, you know, you and I as monotheists, we kind of go, well, yeah, that's asking a lot. We, We believe in one God and there's only one true God. But you have to understand the Babylonians knew nothing of that. They were a polytheistic culture that was just so common. Everybody worshiped many gods. So what's the big deal asking just to worship another golden image? It's not that too much, you know, to ask. If you're Nebuchadnezzar, But these Jewish boys, they knew. One of the big 10 commandments, thou shalt have no other God before me. Thou shalt not um, make unto thee any graven image. Like these guys knew, the Jewish boys, they knew. Even though the Jews had become very pagan, uh, largely, and that's one of the reasons the Lord wiped them out in Jerusalem is because they were worshiping many gods. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a conviction in their heart where they said, we're not gonna bow down, we're not gonna do it. But the world Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar just can't get it in his brain to understand why these three guys would do that. And he says, is it true that you're, what? Like, that's the thing I want you to sense is, is the, Nebuchadnezzar's sort of scratching his head going, what is the deal with these boys? Well, now he's furious in a rage. And he tells them, listen, you better do it. I'm gonna give you one more chance. And, and, and I'm gonna, you know, if, if you don't bow down, man, I'm gonna throw you in the fiery furnace. And I love, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their response was really something. Um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar says, we're gonna throw you in the fire and we'll see if your God can deliver you from the fiery furnace. Well, the, the boys, they say, well, we're not gonna bow down even if, we, we believe our God is able to save us and deliver us from the fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, We're still not gonna bow down and worship the image which you set up. Man, don't you love the boldness of these guys? They're bold and they're not afraid to stand uh, for something. There's an old saying, you gotta stand for something or you'll fall for anything. I love that these guys were willing to stand and say we will not bow down to the image even though the whole Babylonian empire and the king's going, what? Is this true? that you're not willing just to, now, now I don't know about you, would you be tempted at this point to, you know, just bow down? Like I could see in my mind a little mental gymnastic. I could see in my mind standing there before it all happens, okay, they want me to bow down. I'll tell you what, Lord, I'm gonna bow down, not to the image. I'm gonna bow down to you and I'm gonna be praying to you the whole time. Uh, and I'll be good to go. Could they have done that? Like, here's an interesting question for you to think about. Let's just say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bowed down and worshiped the image. Would they have gone to hell? Well, it's an interesting thing because there's there's people we know that are in heaven because they made the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But those guys, some of them even worshiped images and idols and God forgave them. Could God forgive Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego if they bowed down in a moment of weakness? Could the Lord have forgiven them? The answer is absolutely yes. So maybe you just do that. I'm just going to bow down. and Then I'll say, I'm sorry tomorrow or a week from now or 20 years from now. Just, I'll, just, I'll just do it. In a moment of weakness, I'm going to bow down. <clears throat> and then, then the Lord will forgive me because he's merciful and his mercies endure forever. Uh, so I'm good to go. Like I can see why they would sort of bail and just sort of say, okay, let's worship the stupid image for a few minutes. But I, I think there's something going on here. There's a, there's a fortitude in these guys that I wonder, does that even exist today? The strength and courage that these three boys are you know, displaying here, does that even exist today? I think it does. We saw it in Columbine at the shooting in the high school when a young girl, Cassie Bernal, standing in the library had already seen some of her friends shot down by the two gunmen there at Columbine shooting years and years ago. And when they came to her, they said, do you believe in God if you say yes You're pulling the trigger. And she said, I believe in God. And they shot her and killed her right there. Modern day martyr because she was a Christian. And she had the fortitude. She could have said, no, having already seen all her friends killed. She could have said, no. What is it that gets into a person to stand their ground for just saying something with your mouth? See, that's where I think we lack the fortitude today. As a a Christian group of people, do we have the wherewithal to even say our words matter and things we say with our mouths and things we do like bowing down to something? It actually matters to God and somehow it matters in eternity. And how does that matter? And, And what's the big deal? Why did, if you read the Fox's book, Book of Martyrs, you know, why did all those Christians in the first century by the hundreds of thousands, why did they all go down in deaths, brutal deaths, not willing to deny their faith in Christ. I wonder if, if, if our culture, if our generation, if this nation that we live in, if, if, there's, if there's many of those kinds of Christians that have the courage to stand up. See, that's the thing. Well, you know the story. Nebuchadnezzar says, you know, well, we'll see if your God can help you. Well, even if he doesn't, we're still not bowing down. I love that, that's faith right there. And you know the story. So Nebuchadnezzar heated up the furnace seven times hotter. Now this cracks me up. When you get mad and you do stupid things, that's Nebuchadnezzar. You now if you're wanting to torture people and make them hurt, you simmer, put it on simmer, you don't put it on hot. You know, they, they heat it up so much that the Babylonian soldiers that throw these guys into the fire furnace, the, the guys that are trying to throw them in, they're burnt to death. Just by try, these big Babylonian soldiers die And they have to get some other soldiers and say, okay, now you guys get in there and try to throw them in at a distance because it's so hot. Now, if I were making a movie, I would have made the movie uh, and the person I would have got to star, of course, he's not here anymore, but remember the actor that played Barney Fife on the Andy Griffith Show, (laughs) Don Knotts. I would have got Don Knotts to play Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar seems like a goofball to me, (laughs) kind of a man that thinks he's full of authority, but he's really not. Um, well, that's, that's, that's Nebi, and they throw the guys in, and they look in the furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar says, wait a minute. Yes, O king. Didn't we throw three guys in? Yes, O king. But I look in there, and there's a fourth guy, and, and he looks like the son of God. Yes, O king. He's totally blown away, because they throw him in, and the guys, they're not burning. They're just walking around in there, talking to the fourth guy. The only thing that burnt was the ropes that were tying them up. The Bible cracks me up because it says they didn't even smell like smoke when they came out. You know, you go camping, you smell like smoke. (laughs) These guys were in a fire furnace for a while and they didn't even smell like smoke. The Lord just totally protected, not a hair on their head was singed. And while they were in the fire furnace, they got to spend time with Jesus, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. That's what that is. We'll talk more about that on Wednesday night. But here's the thing. I wanna ask this question. Um, When the world looks at you, could it be that the, the temperature is heating up for you and for me in the area of Christian persecution? Is it possible? Does anybody sense that people are not liking Christians more and more and not liking Christianity? Do you sense that there's a posturing to sort of make it harder to do what we do, gathering as a church and worshiping? And do you get a sense that there's, there's sort of a, 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 a trying to control what's going on and, and kind of pretty much tell you what to do? You know, it's interesting to me because, you know, um, we, I love it. our church. We have a lot of the Slavic community in our church. I'm so thankful for our Russians and our Ukrainians that are part of this church. And Um, but the one thing that I'm hearing from them, a lot of them, especially the older ones, the older Russians and the older Ukrainians are saying, Brett, don't you guys get it? Don't you see it? We have people in our church that did prison time in this former Soviet Union. You wanna know why? Because they sang the wrong hymn in church. 10 years in prison because they sang the wrong hymn in church. And they're all saying, you guys, we moved to the United States to get away from that, but don't you guys see where things are going, this control and what's happening? you know the mandates that you can't meet in a group or you know you have to shut down the churches and all this stuff don't you see what's going on and and i have to say yeah i see it but what happens when and if we get to that place where people literally are putting that pressure on you to deny your faith i could see that day coming you know, I see the day already here where if you're gonna be a godly person who's living biblically, people are gonna say, are you, are you kidding me? Is it true? See, that's the thing. I, I wonder if you're ready to answer that question. Are you ready? Because Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ready. They said, it is true, and the Lord is able to save us from the fire furnace, but even if he doesn't, we're not gonna bow down. They were ready to answer that question. Is it true that you guys won't bow down to my image? And they said, absolutely. And I would ask you, are you ready? That's, that's the first thought, the first notion I'd like to kind of kick around with you. Are you ready to answer that question? Is it true? Because the world will do that to you right now. You're a young guy or young girl who's unmarried. You're, you're single and, and you've determined to set yourself aside sexually to be pure before you get married. <laughs> Is it true? You're a virgin? So they'll make a funny movie about you. Or they'll talk about, you know, how you're such a weirdo. Everybody sleeps together before they get married. What's wrong with you? Are you, are you, what's, you know, is there something wrong? Is it true? People put that kind of pressure on you if you're trying to live godly. Is it true? Are you kidding? You, you won't go to, to the bar after work with those, those people you work with um, because you're a religious prude? I remember when I was a student teacher I remember, um, you know, there was, I was in a class of like 200 uh, girls and two guys um, in elementary education. There's not a lot of men in that program. <laughs> but when we were student teaching, I remember after the school day, <clears throat> a bunch of the girls would say, hey, come on, Brett, let's go out and drink and, and go to a bar. And, I, you know, there were two is it trues in that question. Is it true that you don't drink alcohol, Brett? What a weirdo. Is it true that you're such a religious prude that you won't go to the bar with a bunch of girls? Hey, come on, your wife's at home, she'll still be there when you get done, come on. But I was the one saying, it's true. I love my wife and I can't wait to get home and be with her. Two, I don't drink alcohol. Is that true? People thought I was wacko. Probably am, but I, I, I wasn't afraid to say, yep, it's true. That, that's absolutely right, that's, that's it. Is it true? that you're still going to go to church even though the mandate said you're not supposed to go to church? It's amazing to me how, how many churches just kind of signed the document and said, you know, there's a whole letter that a bunch of pastors signed. We will abide by whatever the governor says from now and forevermore. That's, that's, that's what the pastors signed. Some people ask, why didn't churches open earlier like Athey Creek? Well, we didn't sign that letter, nor would we ever. Because... When it comes to telling us when we're supposed to gather and when we're not supposed to gather, um, we live in a, a country that, you know, thank for the Lord, we have a constitution that says they can't interfere with the church and how we meet. And so we, we, we're thankful. Now, now, by the way, even if we didn't have the constitution, like the church in the former Soviet Union, there were churches that met with or without governmental approval, um, but they had to pay for it. Are, are you ready to do that? Is it true that you have a business, a construction company, and you're not cutting corners like everybody else? How are you gonna be able to afford it? We cut corners, you don't. You're making us look bad. And is it true that you're a man of integrity and you're trying to have your company do things right? No way you'll be able to afford that. Is it true? I mean, this world we're living in is asking those kinds of questions a lot. It's amazing. If you're trying to live biblically, some people think you're just wacko. Is it true that you're not gonna dump your you know, stupid husband? Divorce him? Well, the Bible says that we're not supposed to divorce each other. Yeah, but, but he's a jerk. Well, that would give everyone grounds for divorce if that were, if that were the grounds for divorce. Uh, yeah, any woman could divorce her husband. See, to live biblically like that, well, it's, it's kind of a hard thing. I'm gonna be honest with you, at Athey Creek, this has been a hard one. Because if I were writing the Bible, I would have said, there are several grounds for divorce. I'd say, like Jesus said, you know, Matthew talked about if you're committing adultery, and then there is grounds for divorce in the Bible. We believe that because that's what Jesus said. But I would have added to that. I would have also said, if a man's physically abusive to his wife, she can also divorce him, and she can also have someone shoot him in the head. That's what I would have probably written in there if it was just me. But you can be really glad that I'm not the author of the Bible. Um, Now you say, Brett, well, what is a woman supposed to do if if she's got a physically abusive husband? Well, there are things the Bible talks about. Do you think that that the Lord would want a woman just to stay in a house and be beat up? Of course not. And and man, Athey Creek's been a part of helping women get out of dangerous situations. And that's what we believe. But here's the hard part of that. I'd wanna say, not only are we gonna help you get a house, but we're gonna help you get a divorce because that guy was physically abusive. That's what I'd wanna do. The Bible doesn't give us that out. Is it true, Brett, that you don't see abuse as a grounds for divorce? It's not me, it's it's what the Bible says. So what do we do? Well, we get the woman out or the kids and the family out of the house and we'll help them and we'll get the counsel counsel to this guy or jail time or whatever he needs. And until, before she'll move back in, we need to know that he's been fully restored, fully changed and transformed before we see her go back into that house. It's a hard thing. I would have written the Bible differently, but it is true. We follow the biblical example and the biblical model. The world doesn't like that. The Nebuchadnezzars of this world are insisting that we bow down to their virtues and their worldviews. Is it true, Pastor Brett, that you won't call a biological male a female even if he kind of identifies as a female? It's true. The Bible says that God identifies people as male and female. Anything in between or all these different genders now that there's 25 or 65 or th- infinite numbers of genders now is what they're trying to pass off in our culture. As it turns out, the Bible doesn't support that. And it is true, I stick with God's word, what the Bible says. And, and the Bible teaches that we're not supposed to lie. And so when somebody's trying to force us to, tell, to say, we're supposed to call Bruce Jenner, you know, we're supposed to call you know, him or her, well, Brett, that's just hate, you're a hater. Nope, I'm an honest person and I don't like to lie. Biologically, I saw him win when I was a kid, I had the weedy box. <laughs> he was a guy and he won the decathlon and he was a hero of us all. But just because he identifies as a woman does not make him so according to the Bible. I'm telling you something that people are gonna hate you for this. They already do hate me. I'm getting used to it. (laughs) But if you knew my heart, which a lot of people don't take time to get, I care about Bruce Jenner. My heart breaks breaks for the transgender community because you know what? 40% suicide rate is unacceptable. It's the highest rate of any group of people of suicide, the transgender population, and we're just feeding it to them saying, oh yeah, it's a great lifestyle. And oh, you're eight years old and you wanna be transgender? We'll start giving you the meds and we'll start making transition. We're, we're doing horrible things to people today, horrible. And people don't care one bit about the transgender person. Psychology is even being sort of shy and blushing when it comes to saying, well, yeah, we probably shouldn't be doing this. The, where are all the psychologists today? saying, yeah, all the studies say this is not what we should be doing, supporting this. But there's agendas, and the world has its agendas, and it wants you and me to bow down to their image. Are you ready to be a person who stands up for what you believe in? The world will be shocked. Is it true that you will not bow down? So the question, are you ready, is it true? That's the question. If your answer is no, Brett, I am not ready. And I think you're a homophobe bigot. Um, well, people are good at calling names and stuff like that. But if it's not true, what, what do you do? If the answer is no, and every time the world puts something in front of you and you're not willing to say, I'm gonna stand for what I believe in, if the answer is no, what do you do then? You know, it's an interesting thing because you have to kind of ask yourself, why am I unwilling to stand with what the Bible says? Or why am I afraid to stand up for what's right? What is it in me that makes me nervous about speaking as boldly, like Brett, as you're just doing right now, talking about meeting in churches and transgender issues and marriage and divorce? Like those are, those are touchy subjects. Why are you bringing all those up? Some of you are mad at me too. Or is it true? I'm leaving this church, Pastor Brett. We get that. Get that all the time. But if the answer is no, are, are, are you sure you haven't been in Babylon just a little too long? Are you sure you haven't been drinking the Kool-Aid just a little too long? The world and its plans and its purposes are failing miserably. God's word has worked for thousands of years. It's only in the last few years we've done the whole transgender thing and celebrated all that stuff. It's only in the past few years and it's a total disaster and people's lives are being messed up. If the answer is no, it, it's not true, I'm not going to stand up, then what is it that's going to fix that? You know, I, I love the boldness of Peter there in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, where he said, we ought to obey God rather than men. You know, it, it's, is it possible that you've, you've become conformed to this world that's been a theme lately in Daniel, even in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. One of the themes we've had is that, you know, Romans 12 too, where it says, you know, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. But I, I'm worried that so many of us have been in, in this world too long, we've become a part of this world. And our mindset and our thinking has become, you know, jaded and even calloused, and perhaps seared. Seared? Yeah. Listen to this. You know, Paul the apostle talked to young Timothy about this. He said, in the last days, now in the spirit, the spirit speaketh expressly in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. That's happening left and right. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Question, is anybody speaking lies today? Are there people that are lying, but also hypocrites? Like I'd say we, as much as I can remember in ever culture as as from the time I've been alive, I've never seen so many liars that are hypocrites. And the Bible says in the last days, don't be shocked when you see people lured away from truth, seduced by seducing spirits, doctrines or teachings of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Listen to this, having their conscience seared as with a hot iron the searing of one's conscience. What happens there? Well, you have your conscience seared. That means you, you no longer have a sense. You, don't, you no longer have a sensitivity to, to things that are, should be known. Your conscience is part of you that God built that teaches you to know. I like to call it your knower. When you're just walking around, you're like, well, I know I'm not supposed to do that. How do you know that? Did somebody teach you? There, there's just certain things that humanity knows. Fortunately, we still believe in certain things like you shouldn't rape someone. Fortunately, most of humanity says, yeah, rape is really wrong. How did they know that? Well, as it turns out, God gave you a knower and you know that that's wrong. Um, That's your conscience. But the problem with the last days is people's conscience will become seared as with a hot iron. And the question is, has your conscience become seared? Have you been living in Babylon just a little too long? Your conscience, you might call it instinct. You know, the the Arctic crane, study the Arctic crane. Check this out. It's amazing about the Arctic crane because the Arctic crane goes from, you know, the Arctic region and they fly south every year for the winter. And everybody knows that birds fly south. That's great. But the Arctic cranes, most of them, almost all of them go to a single island um, somewhere in the Pacific, way down in the south. And it's a little tiny place where all the Arctic cranes go. And at a certain time of year, it's just the island's covered with Arctic cranes. Here's the thing that science can't figure out. How do the Arctic cranes know how to get there? They don't have compass. They don't have navigation equipment. They just start flapping their wings and flying. And if they're off by 0.002 degrees, they'll be off by miles by the time they get over the island. They won't even find the island. How is it these birds know how to fly? Was it just evolution by accidental circumstances? These birds know it? Um, Because they have bird brains, literally. (laughs) They're literal bird brains. And yet they're smart enough to know. God built that in them. It's called instinct, but we, we know that God made it so these birds know exactly where to, where to fly. That's not a coincidence. That's what God does. And in the same way, God created humanity with even a more intricate knower called our conscience. God's given that to us. But what can happen if you're not careful with the world tugging on you constantly, your conscience can become seared as with a hot iron. Man, how do you get unseared? First of all, pray, Lord, would you just resensitize me to your truth and your word? You know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is your mind renewed? By getting into the world, the world, not the world, the word, the word of God and, and knowing the scriptures. Pray and say, Lord, you know, peel back the calluses Unsear my conscience, Lord. Give me a sensitivity to what's right and wrong and a boldness and a courage to stand for what's good. We're living in a day, folks, and I know this is why it sounds so doom and gloom, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're gonna be called out soon, whether you're gonna be a faithful Christian and stand for truth, or you're gonna cave in and be like the rest of the world. It's amazing because there's, there's things happening. I mean, are you watching what's going on in Australia? Like it's amazing right now, the, the vaccines and the, and the masks and the mandates and people running around the streets and riots and craziness. And, and people are being forced to do things. And I'm not arguing, I talked about the vaccine last week. I'm not arguing pro or con, but it is interesting that they're, they're, the governments are getting very, very comfortable just making people do stuff. And that's an interesting thing. Mark my words, one of the things where the gravity naturally flows is to attack people of faith. And I wonder if maybe this, instead of a nice coloring story for Sunday school, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego might be a wake-up call for us who are living in these days that I think Timothy is hearing from Paul about. If the answer is no, I'm not willing to, to answer that question. It is true that I'm standing on things that are right and I'm not gonna bow down to the image. If you're not willing to say that, man, it's, it's, gonna, be, it's gonna be brutal. You know, it's funny, we can have a little pain now by not caving in and an eternal life of joy, or we can have a little joy now and not be persecuted and have an eternal life of pain. What do you mean, Brett? Well, we've considered, are you ready to answer that question? Is it true? Are you ready? If the answer is no, well, then you gotta renew your mind, have the Lord do a work. But what if the answer is yes? Yes, Brett count me in, I'm gonna stand for truth, I'm gonna stand on the word and I'm gonna go with what God wants me to do. Then what, is, what, what then, what do you do with that? Well, I, I wanna give you a few of the incentives. Why did the martyrs of the Christian early church stand for truth? Why would, why would James, the apostle, allow himself to be tied up and sawn in half lengthwise? All they wanted him to do is recant and say, Jesus did not raise up from the dead. And they, they were using a saw. Some, some historians say it was a wooden saw that they had made out of like wooden teeth, wooden saw. And they were cutting James in lengthwise in half. And they, all they had to do is say, I don't believe in Jesus. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. What is it that got into a person Say, go ahead, saw away. I'm not caving in my faith of who Jesus really was. Well, James must've believed what he saw. He saw a resurrected savior, Jesus, One of the many hundreds of evidences that Jesus really did raise up from the dead. James was not willing to say, oh, it was just a joke we played. We hid the body. He really wasn't alive. Somebody would have caved. James sure didn't. They sought him in half. Peter, when they came to crucify him on a cross, like they did Jesus, Peter said, I'm not worthy, as church history tells us, Peter said, I'm not worthy to die the death of Christ. And so they took the cross, turned it upside down and crucified him upside down. You know, these Christian martyrs, if you say, yes, I'm willing to stand, why would you ever suffer? Why would you get fired from your job? It could happen. There's people being fired from their jobs because they're not getting the vaccine, teachers and medical professionals and what have you. Um, it's funny how the pressures are starting to wind up in this world. What do you do? Well, a couple words. First of all, Galatians you know, 6, 9, don't be weary in well-doing. For in due season, you'll reap a harvest if you faint not. Don't be weary. I, I do worry that sometimes the Christians, one of the reasons we cave is because we're just tired. We're tired of all the conflict. We're tired of people being angry and we don't wanna make waves and we're just tired. But the Bible says, don't be weary in well-doing. You know, you, you, you might have to be willing to lay down your life even someday. Why would we do that? Well, here's probably the biggest point of why somebody would lay, lay down their life and even risk death. Uh, if you had that kind of a faith, the, the, the faith like the, like the Shadrach and Meshach, even if the Lord doesn't save us, we're not gonna bow down. Like that kind of a mentality where you're saying, I'm willing to lay my life down for something. Why would you do that? If the answer is yes, why would you do that? Well, the answer I think is sort of tucked away in the book of Hebrews. Let me just read it to you. Uh, it's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. It says, and of course, Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. All the great men and women of faith listed there in Hebrews 11. But as he's talking about all these people, he says in uh, 11, through 35. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, Obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire. Who was it that stopped the mouths of lions? Daniel. Who was it that quenched the violence of fire? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. There's some operative words in this that I want you to kind of see here. First of all, we can see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story of the morning, tucked away in this list, those that quenched the violence of fire. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being referred to there. Why would they be willing to die? Well, the Bible gives us the answer here along with the others that were tortured, not accepting deliverance. In other words, they they could have said, okay, I deny this and, and, and save me from being thrown in the fire furnace. But rather than being delivered, they chose to go to death. What crazy person chooses death? The person who understands that they might obtain a better resurrection. What does that mean? That means that the person who dies the martyr's death, as it turns out, they have a better resurrection. What is that? It's just saying that when you resurrect from death to life, eternal, it's gonna be better. Whatever that means, it's gonna be better. Well, Brett, what are you, a bunch of Muslims blowing yourself up, hoping you have 72 virgins when you die? It's funny how the the Muslims borrowed so much from the Bible. You know, Muhammad, in the writing of the Quran and all this, they borrowed all kinds of themes, but they're very twisted, weird versions of that. Let me just tell you how that works out here. The, the Muslim, the, the, the fundamentalist Muslim who blows himself up on the streets of Jerusalem trying to kill women and children in the market, they believe by that kind of jihad behavior that they're gonna die and blow themselves up and they're gonna end up in you know, paradise with their 72 or whatever virgins. The funny thing about this, this is true, you could look this up. The, the Muslim scholars are a little troubled because they're having trouble, even today, with all these years from 600 AD to now, they're realizing the word virgin might just be translated raisins. I'm not kidding, look it up. Um, can you imagine, you run around, boom, you blow yourself up and suddenly you're there in paradise and you've got 72 raisins around. You're like, what? Like that, that's gonna be a disappointment. The sad thing is none of that's true. That's a bunch of hogwash. But what the Bible is saying, you're saying bread is the same thing. Well, here's the thing. First of all, Christians were never told to blow people up or kill anyone. Jesus died for everyone. Muhammad killed everyone. Muhammad was a warlord and he did his religion to sort of gather an army around him under one God, Allah. Jesus didn't kill anybody. He wasn't a warlord. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. We're told to lay down our lives for our faith. Um, and it says, when you do lay down your life, not in a mar- like a blowing yourself up kind of thing, but if you're persecuted or tortured, then when you get to heaven, it's gonna be better. The martyrs are gonna be up there, way up there in heaven somewhere by the throne of God. And you and I'll think, well, what did they do? They suffered brutally for their faith in Christ. And for that, for all of eternity, their, their second resurrection unto resurrection eternal life, they're, they're for all eternity are gonna be blessed. There's a better resurrection for them somehow, some way. We don't know what it is. I think everybody's gonna be happy in eternal life in heaven, but there's something better about the martyr's death, as it turns out. And I believe the early church understood this. So what do you do if you're willing to say, Yes, I'm gonna stand my ground. Well, if you're persecuted, and by the way, one of the promises of Jesus was you know, in, in the Bible is those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a promise of the Bible. If you're living biblically, you will suffer. That's what the Bible promises. Name it and claim it. Stick that on your mirror. You know, We put all these loving promises on the Bible, which is great, I love that. But there's also other promises like those who live godly will suffer persecution. That's a promise of God's word. Man, that's, that's a sad truth throughout history. There's been so many people, if you haven't read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, maybe you should, just to kinda of see what people had to deal with for centuries. If you're not a good reader, there's a, uh, more of a, an elementary version, but it's actually really good. It's called Jesus Freaks. Um, I think DC Talk put it out somewhere in the 90s and there's a one and two volume and it talks about a bunch of the martyrs of the Christian faith. One such martyr, I love the story of a young girl. In the 1500s, during the Inquisition, um, they were rifling through the, the houses of this one little village called Bruget, and the inquisitors yelled out, I found one, I found one! <laughs> and they came out of the house <coughs> and they, they found a Bible. You see, during that time, if you had a Bible, in your house, or if somebody owned a Bible there in the 16th century, Philip II sent the Duke of Alba to Flanders to stamp out all the Protestants who insisted on reading the Scriptures in their own language. Anyone found studying the Bible would be drowned, hanged, torn into pieces, or burned alive at the stake. That was the rule. But the Inquisitors found a Bible in the mayor's house, of the mayor of Bruges, they found a Bible. And they lined up the family and all the people in the house and asked them one by one, the mayor, is this your Bible? No, sir. To the wife, your Bible? No, 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 no. The kids, they finally came to a young maid, servant girl, who was probably around 13. And her name was Runkin. And they said, is this your Bible? And she said, yes, it is. I'm reading it. Now saying I'm reading it, because there were some cases where you could have a Bible but you should never read it. There was, it was that kind of thing. But she says, I am reading it. The mayor, knowing the penalty for studying the Bible, tried to defend her saying, oh no, she only owns it. She, she doesn't ever read it. But Runken chose not to be defended by a lie. She said, this book is mine, I'm reading from it, and it's the most precious thing I have. Well, she was sentenced to die that day by suffocation. A place would be hollowed out there in the city wall of Bruges where they would tie her up tightly and stuff her in the the carved out section of the wall and then it would be bricked over by a brick mason. As they were getting this all ready, she stood by the wall. An official tried to challenge her, change her mind. She said, man, you're so young, you're so beautiful and yet to die. But Runken replied, my savior died for me, I will also die for him. As the bricks were laid higher and higher, she was warned again, you'll suffocate and you'll die in there. And she said, I will be with Jesus for eternity. Finally, the wall was finished, except for one brick that would cover her face. And for the last time, the official tried to persuade her, just repent, just say the word, and you can go free. But Runkin, this young girl, refused, saying instead, oh Lord, forgive my murderers. The brick was put into place and she was suffocated to death behind the wall. You and I say, what a waste. A beautiful young girl, 13 years old, dying just because she had a Bible. Horrible, horrific. But you know what's amazing is her story goes down through the ages and it starts to make people like us who are upset because the Taco Bell drive through to lines taking two minutes longer than normal. I wonder... I wonder if if we really understood what real persecution was. You know, a a girl like Runkin, she goes down in history. In fact, by the way, the town of Bruges, after the Inquisition kind of was over, a hundred years later, the townspeople dug out that section of the wall and retrieved her bones and put her bones in a cemetery in the center of the city and put a huge monument um, to Runkin, who died for her faith in the Lord and her love for the Bible. And, and do you think Runkin is in heaven now, going, man, what a bummer. I, it was so unfair. My life was cut short. <laughs> do you think she's up in heaven being bummed about that? Or is she one of those people that's seated right next to the throne of God and we'll barely be able to see her because she obtained a better resurrection because she died for her faith and she went down unwavering, immovable, unshakable. I love Paul the Apostle. He knew something about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. I like the ESV version of this one. Um, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. For if we walk by faith, not by sight. Um, Yes. We are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In other words, we'd rather die and have our body go into the ground, but our soul be with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, in the body or or in heaven, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul says, be of good courage, you guys, because when we die, we're gonna stand at the judgment seat of Christ where the Lord will give you rewards for how you live this life. And if you you stand for what you believe in and if you're strong and of good courage, then guess what? You'll have blessings in heaven. Whether you lived good or evil, the Lord's gonna reward you at the judgment seat of Christ. That's one of those judgments. The great white throne judgment is for those who have sinned and never accepted Christ. They'll be judged and thrown into hell from there. The, the Bema seat judgment or the judgment seat of Christ mentioned here is where you're judged according to your works and you'll be given rewards based on how you live this life, whether you stood up or if you caved. I think the Lord might just be preparing you and me, us as a church to say, Lord, make us ready. Help us to think through what happens when they say, are you one of those Christians that believe the Bible? Are you willing to, to answer that question? Is it true? Is it true that you believe what the Bible says when it calls homosexuality a sin? Is that true? There's a lot of people today that are caving on that one because, well, they'll call you names and call you a hater and all this stuff. Even though the Bible said this for centuries, um, now they're trying to say that it doesn't say that, even though it does. It's amazing how the the Bible talks about how in the last days they'll, they'll call good things evil and they'll call evil things good. And the question really is, are you willing to stand up? And, and, and you know, this battle's kind of being lost, I think, largely today, which probably will be more and more lost as we get closer to the end. But the battle's being lost largely because everybody's being so silent in their faith. There's so many people that are afraid to say, yeah, homosexuality is a sin. We love people, whether they're gay or not, we love them and care about them, but it's still a sin, just like, you know, Somebody who robs a bank, it's a sin. If somebody tells a lie, it's a sin, same. Um, And we're all sinners. We don't call ourselves better than anybody else. I'm not better than the gay guy. It's just, it's still called sin and we call it sin. Well, the Bible says we don't, you know, we we shouldn't waver on that. And yet, man, the world is wavering. The Christian church is wavering. We're afraid and we've become fearful men, fearful women. And I, I wonder if maybe this little story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego might just stir in your heart maybe a change of direction. Rather than caving into the world and being afraid, the Lord has not given us over to that spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. That's what the Lord's called us to. May the Lord give you wisdom in these days. We're not asking for trouble. We're not looking to be unpleasant. We do love people. The church, in fact, loves people better than the world 100 times over. But the the truth is the world hates us for it. And the world is gonna hate us more and more. Jesus talked about this is gonna happen, especially in the last days. And the question is, are you ready? To answer the question, is it true? Is it true? Let's bow our heads, please, as we close this service. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who are cognizant of what your word says, and that we stick to it and go with it. Not easily cave in to this world's pressures, Lord, I pray that our lights would shine before all men, even the men that hate, even as Stephen, they gnashed their teeth and hated him, but he just shined his face brightly, even as he was martyred and was taken up into heaven. So Lord, help us, I pray. Bless your church as we live in these difficult days. And this we ask, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.